0: Upamada and its programs are supported by your generosity. And your generosity and support makes such a difference. You can find a link for contributions on the website at appamata.org. Thank you. So this is the last Dharma talk of this year. And I was thinking about this year and thinking how Difficult it's been in so many, so many different ways, and um, you know we've been uh, had to adapt, right, in so many different ways, and in isolation, and social distancing, and mask wearing, and we're on Zoom much more than I, uh, than we ever thought we would be. I'm sure. I know I am. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So we've we've adapted. So that's 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 a great thing, right? Um, but it's been so complicated. <clears throat> so I thought for the last Dharma talk of this year, I would um, call in the voice of uh, Suzuki Roshi, and it's a very um, simple simple teaching and. It seemed to me it would be nice as a reminder as we enter into the holidays, and a lot of times it's been a lot of hustle and bustle, and now we're gathering with family or we're not gathering with family, depending on the situation, but it's still kind of fraught. So anyway, I'm going with simple, very simple today. Um, This talk uh, is from the book, Not Always So by Suzuki Roshi, Practicing True Spirit of Zen, and um, the name of it is,
1: did I put the name,
0: in? yeah, Everyday Life is Like a Movie. So it's, it starts out like this. Oh, I have to do the special stuff. Okay, <clears throat> so it starts out with, uh, when you're practicing, you realize that your mind is like a screen. If the screen is colorful enough so that it attracts people, then it will not serve the purpose. So a pure, plain, white screen is the important point. Zen is our way of life. He's talking to a group of people, I think, that, that are um, beginners or early practitioners, yeah, or beginners or new people. So Zen is our way of life. And to practice Zazen is like setting your alarm clock. Unless you set your alarm, the clock will not serve its purpose. Every day, we must have a starting point. The sun rises at a certain time and sets at a certain time, always repeating the same thing. And we do too, but it may not feel that way to us. Unless our life is organized, we may not realize how important it is to know where to start our life. As Zen students, our life begins with Zazen practice. We come back to zero and start from zero. Although we have various activities, the most important thing to realize that these activities arise from zero. At the moment you decide to sit, it means you have already set your alarm. When you have enough confidence to make the decision to start practicing Zazen, that is zero. During Zazen, you may hear a bird singing. Something is arising in your practice just like in everyday life, things will arise. And if you know where these things arise from, you will not be disturbed by them because you don't know how it happened, you become confused. If you know how things arise, then at the moment something happens, you will be ready. And you'll say, oh, Something is arising. It's like watching the sunrise. Oh, look, the sun is just coming up. For example, sometimes you would become angry. But anger, anger doesn't come all of a sudden. It may come very slowly. When you feel anger come all of a sudden, that is real anger. But when you know how it comes, anger is arising in my mind, you notice that. That is not anger. People may say you are angry, but you are not actually angry. If you know you're about to start crying, you, you say, oh, oh, you think I'm, I'm going to cry. And then in the next two or three minutes, oh, I started crying that is crying that is not crying our practice is to accept things as you accept various images in your sitting the most important thing is to have big mind and to accept things if you practice zazen to obtain enlightenment it is like using the alarm clock without setting the alarm it will go off anyway but it doesn't make sense Knowing what you were doing at any particular time is the most important thing. And I'm gonna stop there for just a minute. Um, so knowing what you're doing at any particular time is the most important thing. Uh, you know, it's such a simple teaching, right? It's very simple. But um, I think about, uh, for me, how many times I just off thinking about, you know, whatever I have to do, or whatever is bothering me, or, you know, what have you on my does And it's so hard to just know what I'm doing at this particular point in time. He goes on, uh, our everyday life is like a movie playing on the wide screen. Most people are interested in the picture on the screen without realizing there is a screen. When the movie stops, you think, I must come again tomorrow. I'll come back and watch another show. When you're just interested in the movie on the screen and it ends, then you expect another show tomorrow. Or maybe you're discouraged because there's nothing good on right now. You don't realize the screen is always there. But when you're practicing, you realize your mind is like a screen. If the screen is colorful, this is the quote again. Colorful, colorful enough to attract people, then it will not serve the purpose. So, having a pure, plain white screen is the most important point. But most people are more interested in. Most people are not interested in the pure white screen. It is good to be excited about seeing a movie. To some extent you can enjoy the movie because you know it is a movie even though you have no idea of the screen still your interest is based on on the understanding that this is a movie with a screen and there's a projector and something artificial going on there so you can enjoy it that is how we enjoy our life If you have no idea of the screen of the projector, perhaps you cannot see it as a movie. A in practice is necessary to know the kind of screen you have and to enjoy your life as you enjoy movies in the theater. You're not afraid of the screen. You do not have any particular feeling for the screen, which is just a white screen. So you are not afraid of your life at all. You enjoy something you are afraid of. You enjoy something that makes you angry or makes you cry. And you enjoy the crying and the anger too. That sounds like really advanced practice to me. If you have no idea of the screen, then you will even be afraid of enlightenment. You'll be saying, ooh, what is it? Oh my, if someone attains enlightenment, you may ask him about the experience that he had or she had. When you hear about the experience, you may say, oh no, that's not for me, but it is just a movie, something for you to enjoy. And if you want to enjoy the movie, you should know that it is the combination of film and light and screen, and again, the most important thing is the plain white screen. So that white screen is not something that you can actually attain. It's something that you always have. The reason you don't feel you have it is because your mind is so busy. Once in a while you should stop all your activities and make your screen white. And that is zazen. That is the foundation of our everyday life and our meditation practice. Without this kind of foundation, your practice will not work. All the instructions you receive are about how how to have the clean white screen, even though it is never purely white because of various attachments and previous stains. When we just practice Zazen with no idea of anything, we are quite relaxed. Because it is difficult to have complete relaxation in our usual posture, we take the posture of Zazen. And to do this, we follow the instructions that have been accumulated from the experience experience of many people of the past. They discovered the posture of Zazen is much better than the posture, better than standing up or lying down. If you practice long Zen following the instructions, it will work. But if you do not trust your own pure white screen, your practice will not work. So that's that's the end of his talk. He says thank you at the end. Um, so I just wanted to, to talk a little bit about. Um, a couple of these points. So so in in discussing Zazen, Zazen being the starting point, it's it's the zero point, that's where we start in the morning. And so we have lots of activities arrived during the day. And so the question is, do we know how they arise? from zero. What's happening? How do we, how do they arise? So he says in in Zazen, it may be a bird singing. And if you know how things arise, you will say, oh, something is arising, like seeing the sunrise, the sun is just coming up. So it's that, to me, what I'm hearing is it's that awareness. The awareness is what makes us uh, uh, alive to what's really going on. Awareness plus no preconceived notions for everything that's coming up. That seems to be what he's talking about the white screen. And resetting. You know, Pegs talks a lot about Zalzin being resetting. It's the same sort of ideas we're talking about here. And I found it interesting the way he looks at anger and crying or whatever. Um, and saying that our practice is to sec- accept things like the image images you may have when you are sitting. I don't know if this has ever happened to you guys, but um, here in the zendo, there's a. Uh, if you're sitting in this spot next to the altar, I could swear there are pictures of horses there. <laughs> I've sat there in many of the intensive, <laughs> and so you know, are they there? I don't know. Are they really arising? They are apparently,
1: in
0: my mind, anyway. Um, but the important thing is to have this big, big, spacious mind, and things can pass in and out, and rise and fall, rise and fall. And then you can accept things. You can accept things from that place. It's like um, kind of the same notion as life as it is—the only teacher, accepting that life as it is. The only now this, now this arising, as it's stated in the core practice book. So it's about being aware, what's arising now, what's arising now, and knowing what you are doing at any particular point in time. So the second point is, um, everyday life is like a movie playing on the wide screen. the fact that if your screen is all clouded up with stuff, it doesn't, doesn't work. In practice, one doesn't work that way. So you've got to clear it every every day. And then coming to in is the way you can do that, clearing it. So what I found interesting in here, um, he's talking about enjoying Zen practices to know, where is it? Okay, that you enjoy the movie and that is how you enjoy your life. So he's comparing watching this movie, but you assume there's a screen behind it or you know, aware something's going on there. And so you enjoy it. And it's the same way that you enjoy your life. It's a really interesting way of looking at it. It's just meeting whatever's coming up on the screen, right? so you have to know the kind of screen you have and enjoy your life as you enjoy movies and you're not afraid of the screen and this really caught me you know Um, you're not afraid of the screen and then he says you're not particularly you have no particular feeling for the screen and you're not afraid in your life so that's really interesting that's a very common common thing to be afraid of things and he's suggesting that instead of feeling fear we can enjoy what's coming up if we don't have attachments, I suppose or ideas about whatever's happening it's an important point I think um <clears throat> Yeah, and if you you have no idea of the screen, you'll even be afraid of enlightenment. (laughs) We can make up all sorts of stories about things. We don't have a clear screen, so we understand that the most important thing is the plain white screen. And of course, the section about um, not being able to attain—it's not something that you attain the screen. It's something that you have. You just need to uncover it, maybe, is a better word. Be reminded about it. And if you stop all your activities, your screen, instead of zazen, your screen becomes white again. So does anybody have any comments about about this? Yeah, rosemary. Rosemary. Um, I mean, okay. Yeah. Um, you were. You were. There you go. You're back.
2: It had to do with enjoying your fear, your sadness, and your anger. I thought that was really key.
0: Yeah. I did too. It really struck me. Um, yeah, I think that that's powerful. Yeah, I thought so too. I um, I was really bowled over by that.
2: It really helps to think of it that way.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's even a possibility, right? Um, yeah. So, yeah. Thank you for that comment. I I felt the same way when I when I read it. Um, Joan, you had
1: your hand up a second ago. I don't see you. Oh, there you are. You moved. <laughs> um, I was kind of struck by this uh, clean white screen and that every morning it's it's white again or clear. And it seems like that is our consciousness. That is our awareness. Mm-hmm. And it's clear with whatever happened before is over mm-hmm. and we just meet what comes now. And it's new. Yeah. We may have preconceived yeah. notions that it will be like it was yesterday, but we don't know that.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: without that, there's a greater chance that it won't be like it was yesterday.
0: Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Lost the ending of that. Um, but. Oh, great internet. Um, it's just without holding these preconceived notions that it will be like yesterday. There's a greater chance that it will be new. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so interesting. It, it's so part of the preconceived notions. I think are this constantly protection of the ego, right? It's this protection of self, and and that really messes up the, the uh, screen a lot. Are there any other comments? Um, okay, so I thought maybe we could work in, in little groups. What time is it? Yeah, we got 30.
3: Um Lori, before you do that, can you hear me? I had my hand raised, but I don't think anyone
0: Oh, I uh, didn't see it. I'm sorry. Oh, that's all right. Go right ahead. Good yeah. Good morning. Yeah.
3: Um, would you speak more to something, and, and maybe it's just an advanced practice. Peg sent out um, a meditation on grief, and it speaks to feeling what we're feeling, um, we're, our grief, which arises from all of our Emotions, or experiences with that particular situation Mm -hmm. or person. And I'm, I'm struggling with the word enjoying my grief because maybe my practice isn't advanced enough to hold both of those at the same time. Mm -hmm. But when I'm deep into my grief, um, and and the woman I love is in the process of dying. So I am working with grief. Um, it is very hard to feel enjoyment. Now I can, I can hold my grief without being attached to it. I can let it go and know that I'm the sky and it's one of the many things that appears in the sky. But this concept of enjoying it simultaneously mm-hmm. is a difficult one for me.
0: Yeah, right. It's a good question. I don't know if I can answer it adequately. Um, uh, I think that one is the meditation on grief is kind of how you can, how you pass through the grief, right? And that's my understanding of it, Um, because you need to feel those feelings and kind of get them out. And, um, but I, this other thing that he's talking about, enjoying, <clears throat> enjoying sadness, enjoying grief, or enjoying these other things—I I don't know. I may be wrong, but I'm understanding that more on the level of um, you're alive. You know that it's an enjoyment in that sense, not that you enjoy the pain of grief. You know, that's, I don't know. And maybe somebody else has another comment to make on that. But that would be my sense of it. It is all the aspects of your life are, they're part of your life and you have, to, you don't have to, but you love it because it's, it's all part of the whole. You can't carve things out, right? You, you have all these things. And so you love your life with, even with the grief and even with, you know, mm-hmm. with all these things. It's just part of it. And in that sense, you love it, you can enjoy it um, from the standpoint of your, it's the aliveness that's part of be alive. Anybody else um, have any comments about that?
1: I have a comment. I, I totally agree that it's all of life and we don't cherry pick which parts, you know, it, it is life. But also when I am in grief, I know I'm in grief because I have loved so much and I have to, to cherish that. The only reason I have this grief is because of this great love Mm -hmm. and the same with sadness. The sadness is cursed because there's been great, great happiness. But I go back to what Laurie said is that it is appreciating all, not just what we uh, desire for.
3: Mm-hmm. Thank you, Joan.
1: Sorry. Yeah.
4: This is Bridget, and, and what I would add to that is that when you're in those times, that it does seem paradoxical to think you can enjoy the grief, but I think it, it's a moment of you can, you can recognize the, the intensity of your feelings and the depth of them and have an opportunity to have self-compassion acknowledging that you can hold both these things, both the intense love you have for a person you're losing, as well as the depth of your sorrow. Yeah. And so it it makes it, we don't have to think we should be different. So many of us try to have talked, tried to talk ourselves out of our feelings for years. And so, mm-hmm. um, so that's my addition. Yeah, thank you, Bridget.
5: Thank yeah, you, Bridget. I just, just I wanted just to say, just... say that, it's um okay to feel sad yeah, i think i've got a bit of an echo <laughs> yeah that's all right yeah so it's okay to feel sad you don't really need to enjoy grief uh yeah. it's all right to cry it's all right to feel feel those much i recently lost someone who was close to me and um I, I went i went um i was crying a lot and it's part of the process and you just have to let it be and um there's always a part of them in your heart somewhere within you um i mean i i still see that person in my dreams you know and so there's still some part of my mind that they've affected in some way that they've uh, but um it's okay to be sad you know um i don't know why you, you don't it's it's not really enjoyment it, it's um you know uh, it's just let, let them be kind to your mind that's it be kind to yourself and yeah don't you know if you just go with it flow with it i yeah i mean the buddha i think the buddha cried at one time you know when he's um <laughs> there was times when he he got sad and cried i'm sure there was a time where he was in grief because his village got massacred at one time and yeah. i think that really upset him at one point so you know uh yeah, no. yeah. So it's okay it's all right yeah it's all Thank right you. to feel grief man.
4: i was sorry, oh, I, was... I have one more um I have one comment. Um,
0: yep,
4: have go ahead. Um, it, it feels texture, texturally that there's a difference between enjoyment and joy.
6: Mm-hmm.
4: And I'm not sure exactly what that is, but to me it feels different. And when my friend of 55 years died a few months ago from mm-hmm. um, cancer and this disease of COVID, um, I was, I was in meditation and I was joyful, or I, w- I had joy because I knew enough to ask that somebody hold the phone next to her as she was dying mm-hmm. and I could speak and let her know that I was there mm-hmm. and that I could be in meditation and actually feel, um uh, when she died yeah. Yeah. you know almost to the minute mm-hmm. and and that brought me joy mm-hmm. and yet I was in tears you know <laughs> so it's it's just interesting those two words mm-hmm. that play mm-hmm. Thank you
0: Thank you Kathy Let's see somebody who was it over here Becky okay. Becky yeah.
7: Um, before Nelda spoke about it in terms of grief, the one I was thinking through had to do with physical pain Mm -hmm. and, and that it's not like you would sort of even particularly aim to enjoy that. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about that. And then as, as we were talking and so on, I was aware of, well, yeah, but I mean it's it the physical pain is and includes necessary suffering. As long as as you mm-hmm. on on that other level are dealing with the the suffering attachments to it that hopefully one might have walked you know walked through already somehow. Yeah. So And and so and so I was thinking about that. It's like, yes, there is there is joy in the being alive, even though you're in pain. And there is Mm -hmm. joy in looking looking back across some of your experience and knowing the ways that you have walked through some of the aspects of the suffering that had been attached like so it's the it's the joy of the freedom of even having pain that isn't attached to unnecessary suffering right
0: right
7: something like that you know it's
0: (laughs) yeah pain is a real um interesting topic uh, and there's, a, I think a lot of times with pain and physical issues, there's a lot of attachment to the body and our attachment, like the body is us, you know, that kind of thinking. And, and sometimes through that process, we can get a real clear idea that I am not my body, you know, and so the, there you get some separation there and can, can have these, all these other feelings about, you know, the joy and so forth. Um, and you can kind of make a space there with
7: distinction. But I, I think it's important for us to continue to remember that when we talk about an I while well, we're in this lifetime, it does include the body. Oh, yeah, we absolutely. We can't make it separate mm-hmm. in order to, to go through the processes that our whole stuff is. We can't separate ourselves from that momentarily every once in a while in order to avoid a a suffering or whatever at the moment. That's okay with me sometimes, you know, it's like, I think I'll just step aside from that for right now. I know how to do that, right? But but in in the long run, that if we separate ourselves from our body, we are disconnecting. We are disconnecting from ourselves. We're disconnecting from each other.
0: Yeah, I wouldn't advocate separating from the body, but just... Realizing we aren't the body, that's not the tolls. So it's the,
7: not the total. Tolls. Yeah. It's
0: that's
7: not the total. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Well, thank you. Um, let's see, I think Olivia. Oh, she had her hand up a minute ago. I think she's gone.
6: Olivia. Yes, I'm right here. Okay. My timer went off. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I was thinking that, okay, uh, it's like, too necessary. I would use the word necessary. Uh, We have our lives. Mm -hmm. It's there with all the experiences, Mm -hmm. like in this case of, of grief, loss. Mm -hmm. We don't always choose. Yes, we do seek things, but life happens to us. We have it.
0: Yeah.
6: And we experience the feelings of reaction to that life sometimes it's joyful sometimes it's painful Mm -hmm. but you can't have one without the other right so that's more so experiencing the loss we were experiencing at one point the bliss of having and enjoying
0: absolutely
6: and it changes Mm -hmm. and this that's just but you can't have one without the other. They're necessary parts.
0: Yeah, I think it goes back to what Joan was saying. That the pain that one suffers from grief or sadness, from a separation from a loved one, either through death or otherwise. Um, yeah, that, the the... Um, your grief is indicative of how much love that you had for this person. I remember when my father died, I cried for a solid year. You know, I thought, when am I ever going to stop this? And at some point, I finally realized it was okay to be crying that much. It just meant I loved him a whole lot. <laughs> so, anyway. Did I see another hand? Uh, yeah, those were me.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to thank Nelda for... Um... I'm getting upset, too. <laughs> For sharing it.
3: Yeah.
2: And also, um, I thought of uh, something that Thich Nhat Hanh said that um, the suffering that we have is necessary because it allows us to have compassion and to develop compassion. If we have none, we don't know how to be compassionate in a way.
0: Well, that's an important point i think <clears throat> that's a very important point you know, how we develop compassion through our own sorrow
2: i have one more thing and that was that um you know i'm i don't know if i would call this enjoyment but the ability to um um share um our grief uh, with others and, um, you know, be held um, by the group, I I don't know if I'd call it enjoyment, but it's, um, it becomes a collective grief in a way.
0: Yeah.
5: Yeah, it makes all the difference in the world, I think. Yeah, it's like, was saying during inquiry, you need uh, stop. Yeah, you have to be kind to yourself as well as ever being. So if you're sad, it's all right. You know, it's fine. Just be kind to that part of you that's feeling sad, or all of you that's feeling sad. Just, just go with it. And it's all right to feel sad. <laughs> yeah, and uh, be kind, kind to yourself. Right. I... Yeah. Oh,
8: Maria. Yeah, I just wanted to add something to that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think through, through grief and suffering, I think it's when we really, um, like, well, for the last three years, the person closest to me in the world has has been in incredible pain and been asking for euthanasia for three years. <laughs> and, and I think in that, in supporting her to be in that, I've had to find a place to be okay. And the grief's there and the the pain and the heartache is there. But with it being going on for three years, you finally realize that you have to sit down in your garden and let that bird call you back to that Mm -hmm. white screen, call you right back to that moment. You know, you you have to um, sit and and think, I am feeling grief, I'm upset, but I have to let go of those thoughts for now. I have to just sit and find a space where I am at peace, where I am okay. Otherwise, my body will burn out and I'll be no good to support that person. But also for myself, it's like it took me two years to realise that to sit in grief constantly, because something tells us when we have intense thoughts that we have to keep hold of them and we have to keep thinking about them Mm -hmm. and we have to follow them. And it took me two years of of kind of intense pain and grief and and really feeling and and not wanting this person to be in pain to realize that just let go, Mm -hmm. just let go and sit and be in that white screen and be with that bird And I I have to keep coming back to that white screen again and again and again, because I'm not Buddha and I keep thinking and I keep following the thoughts and I keep chasing and I keep getting the unrest. But I keep coming back and allowing and giving myself permission to just drop everything. Because sometimes we just have to stop, Mm. breathe, look around, hear the bird, hear the birds. And that's how we cope. Mm. And we can find joy and peace alongside all the suffering that's going on around us and go back into it and out of it and in of it. But keep coming back and keep allowing that burden nature to bring you right back. And that's how I find my own sort of way of doing it. It's a continuous practice, but it's possible to feel peace and to be okay when there's intense grief, pain and misery going on around you. And, And when my preference is for this person to not want euthanasia, and to stay alive Mm -hmm. and I have to sort of let go of that preference and then I go back into the preference and then I have to come back away from that preference and it's 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 continuous but it's keep doing it just keep coming back keep sitting keep listening to the birds and and the grief Mm -hmm. will come back and the thoughts will come back so come back to the seat come back to the bird again and again and again and that's yeah Mm thank you
5: that was really great. Thanks, Maria, for sharing that.
8: Yeah.
1: That was a great Dharma talk. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: <laughs>
3: Thank you, Maria.
0: So, well, I think maybe we will um, stop there and do the chant, I guess. Uh, we were going to do get together, but I think there's not enough time for that. So um, I think we're done. Uh, <laughs> Thank <laughs> <laughs> you.